You are now listening to the Faith Community Bible Church Podcast. It's our prayer that this message is not only a blessing to you, but to your entire family. Join us as we aim to make Christ known in our community by caring for the community. God bless. Um, as, we, as we move further in our worship, y'all, y'all know we are in our series um, called Equipped. And today, as we jump into, jump into this series, jump into this Equipped series, Um, today, y'all, we will really begin to kick in the high gear for um, the second half of this series, Equipped. Um, While the first half, we we talked really about some pertinent things that we believe, some things that we firmly believe are pertinent to our walk as believers, really looking at this word equipped, not as a past tense word, but really a present tense word as a reminder to all of us that God has given us everything we need to do what he needs us to do. Really leaning into um, um, 2 Peter chapter 1 verse 3, his divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Um, The first part of this really dealt with some pertinent things, really leaning into our walk with Christ. Those pertinent things meaning kingdom, intimacy, maturity, and mission. We dealt with that really the first half of this series, but now as we kick into the second half of this series, we're still saying, hey, he's given us everything we need to do what he needs us to do, Um, and these things are still pertinent, but we're going to take the next several weeks to begin to address the values of our church, um, the values of faith community, Um, and you all know we have really five values that we lean into, promoting Jesus intentional evangelism, gospel-centered, loving others, and the new value that we've added is discipleship, right? Y- y'all, those, of those who were in our end-of-the-year meeting, we kind of told you that for a while we felt like something was missing, and, and as pastors we met, mind-mapped, brainstormed, and realized that we, for the life of our church, have had this value of discipleship um, that it, it was just there, right? But it was silent. But we want to make this loud and let you know that we as a body value discipleship. While, again, all four of these values, uh, four of them have been since the beginning, but we just recently added this new value of discipleship. And you may have a question, um, well, why is discipleship important? What does this mean? Or what does this have to do with me? Well, today, as we look at this value of discipleship through the preached word, I will attempt really to answer those questions for you, Um, and hopefully the aim is that you will walk away here today not only seeing why we as a body value discipleship, but you will leave here today really embracing the reality that you are equipped to be a disciple who make disciples. That the idea today is for you to leave her knowing that God has poured into you everything that you need, not to build buildings, but to build people. A lot of times we shy away from making disciples because we don't feel like we have anything to offer anybody else. But the truth is this, if you've responded to the gospel, God has given you something to pour, in the, to pour into anybody else. And guess what that is? It's the gospel. Right? So, so as we lean into this today, right, the reality is we're not here to build buildings. We're here to build people. 
And the way we believe that we build people is by being disciples who make disciples. So we're going to lean into that today. Grab your Bibles. Go with me to John 15. John 15 is where we'll be. John chapter 15. John chapter 15 is where we'll be. And when you have that, why don't you stand to your feet? I will read John chapter 15, looking specifically at verses 1 through 17. John chapter 15, verses 1 through 17 is where we'll be. When you have it, won't you say, I got it. If you need more time, say, I'm turning. Amen. John, John chapter 15, beginning at verse 1, here's what he says. I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. Every branch in me that does not produce fruit, he removes, and he prunes every branch that produces fruit so that it will produce more fruit. You're already clean because of the word I've spoken to you. Remain or abide in me and I will in you. Just as a branch is unable to produce fruit by itself unless it abides or remains on the vine, neither can you unless you remain or abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches, the one who remains or abides in me, and I in him produces or bears much fruit because you can do nothing without me. If anyone does not remain in me, he is thrown aside like a branch and he withers. They gather them, throw them into the fire, and they are burned. If you remain in or abide in me and my word abide or remain in you, ask whatever you want and it'll be done for you. My Father is glorified by this, that you produce much fruit and prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, I've loved you. Remain or abide in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain or abide in his love. I've told you these things so that my joy may be in you and your joy may be complete. This is my command. Love one another as I've loved you. No one has greater love than this, to lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends. If you do what I command you, I do not call you servants anymore because a servant does not know what his master is doing. I've called you friends because I've made known to you everything I have heard from my father. You do not choose me, but I chose you. I appointed you to go and produce fruit and that your fruit should remain so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give you. This is what I command you, love one another. That is John 15 verses 1 through 17. May the Lord add a blessing to the readers, hearers, and the doers of his word. You may grab your seats today as we look at these 17 verses in John 15, I want to today, if I can, really from a subject, being disciples who make disciples, being disciples who make disciples for 
discipleship, equipped um, discipleship. If you really begin to think and process the growth spurts of, of a baby, a lot happens, really. You think about a baby, a lot happens in a baby's life during the first three months. Most babies reach certain milestones at similar ages, but infants take their own path, really, as they develop. You should expect your baby to grow and develop at the baby's own pace. At first, really, um, for parents, you know, like this to be true at first, really caring for this, this newborn baby feels like an endless cycle of feeding, an endless cycle of diapering and soothing. But soon, signs of your baby's growth and development begins to appear. It begins to appear in areas like motor skills. Newborn babies, uh, uh, your, your, your newborn's movements at first really seems to be jerky at best. But over the next several months, most babies start to control their own movements. I remember when I had my first baby, right, I would hold her from the bottom, and then somebody who was more mature came to me and said, no, you got to hold the baby's head because they're not strong enough to hold up their own neck. What happens is that over time, the neck of the baby gets a little stronger, and by two months when you hold the baby, the baby should be able to support the head on their own. By the end of many months, most babies can lift their head and even their chest, supported by elbows or even laying on their tummy. And if your kid's anything like mine, they crawl out of cribs and begin to raid the refrigerator as they grow. Not only, right, a, a baby that matures, they grow in motor skills, but they even grow in their hearing over time. See, because newborn babies can hear, um, or, or, as soon as they come out of the womb, most newborn babies can hear, but they don't understand what sounds mean. And as one-month-old babies start to know familiar sounds, they may show it by turning their head or smiling or laughing, but by three months, the baby may respond to sounds with excitement or even the baby may quiet themselves to hear the voice of the one they're familiar with the most. Not only do we see that in motor skills or, um, or, or, or hearing, but even in their vision. The first three months, babies pay most attention to faces. But over time, babies likely gain the ability to follow an object as it moves in front of their eyes. Gradually, newborn babies are able to focus on objects that are further away. But around two months, babies begin to smile when others smile at them. They begin to laugh at things that they find funny. By the end of month three, the baby begins to make eye contact and also really begins to tell colors apart. While they can't recognize the colors, they can begin to tell colors apart. But even, babies even, after a while, they begin to grow in communication, taking information um, as a caregiver's body language, expressions, and how they're held. But, well, my newborn baby can't communicate the need they can by crying. And as they cry, you know, right, if they can't use words, but crying is still a form of communication. 
while they cry, they either hungry or need their diaper changed or got a toothache, something is wrong. All that said about newborn babies, that could also be applied to newborn Christians. The danger is that we've created a culture or we've fostered a culture where we allow people to become new Christians and then leave them to figure it out all on their own. But wonder why missional numbers are at an all-time low. Wondering why more people show up at a choir concert than a prayer meeting. Wondering why, right, when uh, 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 we want to cut things that, that promote growth short when we're really supposed to put energy in growth. It, it, while all of these things can be said about newborn babies, it can also be said about Christians. The danger is that if we aren't being disciples who make disciples, then what we communicate is that we expect for Christians to grow on their own. When we aren't making disciples, what we're communicating is we're expecting Christians to feed themselves. When we aren't intentional about discipleship, what we're communicating is, believer, it's okay for you to develop your own appetite and so many other things, which in turn creates other dangers. What would happen if you would leave it up to your one-month-old, your two-month-old, or even your two- or three-month-old to create their own appetite? They're going to eat honey buns for breakfast, lunch, and dinner, get my age, and have diabetes. All because we allow them to create their own appetite. But even as you grow as an adult, right, if we have a church potluck, you don't want your food served to you pureed in a baby jar. What you're saying is that no, right? If we're going to be a church, if we're going to be a black church, where's the chicken? I need some protein. And then listen, it better be seasoned right. And then as you serve me, hear this, we even particular, you better have on gloves. But what has happened in the church, thinking about spiritual appetite and spiritual eating, is that we, we have began, right, to allow people to feed themselves. They ain't got no gloves. Their food ain't seasoned. And now, right, they are so used to eating faux cheese, right, that when the real thing comes, they like, I don't like the way that tastes. Allowing people to develop their own appetite. See, when a person comes really to know the Lord, we cannot just leave them to their own devices. We have to pull them close. We have to not only get to know them, but also point them to the Father. We must make disciples. We must be disciples who make disciples. And that's the main point today. That's what I want you to grab as we look at these verses. We must be disciples who make disciples. In other words, believer, we must take responsibility for the spiritual growth of one another. We have to, right? To help you really understand what this really is, right? Here at Faith Community, we define discipleship as a lifelong process of learning, sharing, and following Jesus. Discipleship is a lifelong process of learning, sharing, and following Jesus, which means that a disciple is a learner, a sharer, and a follower of Jesus. And we measure discipleship by asking two questions. Who are you responsible for and who's responsible for you? 
Discipleship, this idea of biblical discipleship is not this idea that you need one person who is smarter than the other to pour into another who's not as smart. No, discipleship is a mutually fulfilling relationship that encourages growth on both ends. Many times discipleship, right, we look at discipleship as a conversation at Breadco, a conversation at Starbucks. But here's the problem with that. If we demote discipleship to what we do just at a restaurant with our Bibles open, then we're not effectively teaching men how to be good husbands. We're not, a t- we're not um, effectively teaching men how to be great fathers or women how to be great wives or, or even great mothers, right? We have to, like, discipleship says that I don't just want to quote theory to you, but I want to help give you some practice. How do you live um, in the context of family while living on mission? That's what discipleship is, right? Now, here's the thing. Discipleship actually pushes past superficial and pushes to the real, Right? Discipleship in the life of the blood bought is almost like going to, an, going to uh, the beach, right? Going to the sand with a metal detector trying to find the gold, right? And as soon as you get to a believer, right, with your metal detector, as soon as you get to a believer, they go beep, 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 right? And what I want to do is I want to dig into your heart. I want to dig into your life and dig for gold, not only to give you what I have, but also understanding that there's something on the inside of you that's supposed to empower me too. At its core, though, discipleship, at its core, discipling is teaching. See, we teach with words. We teach all the words that Jesus taught his disciples and all the words in Scripture. And sometimes, y'all, really, discipling requires us to warn others about choices they're making. Well, Pastor, you, now you lost me because I'm all for discipleship. But, I, but, 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 you know, I think one of Kaya, one of the biggest lies that has infected the church as it pertains to discipleship is this idea of, What happens in my house stays in my house. Now, what has happened is that that has fostered people to mature in Christ and be broken Christians at best, all because they're dealing with all these triggers and stuff, because they won't share that with other people. But discipleship says, listen, I want to heal from my past. I want to heal from these triggers. I want to heal from this brokenness. So I'm going to surrender. I'm going to submit. I'm going to make myself accountable to somebody who can help me really begin to own this Christian thing. People grow when you teach them general truths, yes, but it also corrects their particular errors. Part of being a follower of Jesus is recognizing that sin deceives us and that we need other believers to help us see the things that we cannot see ourselves. Do you know that most babies or most toddlers learn how to tie their shoe really by watching other people tie their shoe? Yeah, you're going you to teach them, y- y'all know, loop, swoop, and pull, and all that other stuff, right? But, but listen, they need to be around other toddlers, right? They need to actually be around even like when some kindergartners begin to hang out with some first graders and second graders, right? They begin to put two and two together to realize that these numbers, like the, the math can math. 
right? You can do this because you've seen other people do it. Do you know that all throughout Scripture, we see examples of discipleship? Think about it, right? Hebrews 11, right? We talk about all the time this, this hall of faith, right? Now, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. For, uh, by faith, Abraham. By faith, Enoch. By faith, Sarah. Then he says, without faith, it's impossible to please God. But then you get to chapter 12, and then he says, now, since you've been surrounded by so great cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely to us. How can I do this? Because I have an example. Discipleship is that example where we live for Jesus in front of one another, right? It's, it's, so here's, here's what we do. When we think about discipleship, what we do is I got people coming over. Let me clean my house. Let me pick my clothes up off the couch. Let me sweep them out the floor because when my guests come, I want it to smell like bleach. But, like, what would happen if you invited somebody to your house and they actually saw your living conditions? Because let me tell you, if everything around you is perfect, there's nowhere for nobody to help you. Right? Ultimately, discipling involves living out the entire Christian life before others. It's not only being, it's not a one person being smarter than the other, but it's a mutually beneficial relationship of not only growth, but accountability. Discipling is, discipleship is a form of mutual love. Yes, there's something of a teacher and student relationship, but there will also be peer-to-peer mutuality and love, y'all, such that it's discipleship, it goes both ways. You know, I think about the guys that I'm in discipleship with, right? It's interesting because these guys would say, you my pastor, but they'll also check me. They help me where I'm wrong. We process things together. We must be disciples who make disciples, meaning that we take responsibility for the growth, maturity, and care of one another. When thinking of discipleship, we, we, tend, to, we, we tend to wrestle through the tension of why. Why be a disciple? Why make disciples? Why do I give the other person or person so much about my life? Why do I do it? But what I love here is that in the Gospel of John, we see our why answered in the text. Now, John's Gospel is full of rich truth, rich nuggets of truth that teach us not only about the Father, but it teaches us about the Son. It teaches us, John teaches us about salvation, eternal life, and even the Spirit of God, right? John really helps us, right? I love how he opens up fixing our eyes on Jesus. And John 1 verse 1, he says, in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word word was Drops down, the Word became flesh and dwelled among us. He's fixing our eyes on Jesus. Then you jump to John 4 after he spends two or three chapters fixing our mind on Jesus. Y'all know John 3, 16, right? For God so loved the Word, He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. There, John 3, he's having a conversation with Nicodemus, reminding him of who Jesus is. And after he fixes our eyes on Jesus, he takes us to John 4, um, dealing with a woman at the water cooler, right? A woman who who got pushed away from everybody she knew. This woman was an outcast, but Jesus finds her, right, has a conversation with her, 
after she's like, no, nobody want nothing to do with me. Right? He begins to talk to her about her life. Telling her, hey, you got all these dudes and the one that you live with ain't your man. But after he fixed her eyes on the father, he says something in John 4. Now, because you know who my father is, he says, the time is coming where true worshipers must worship you in spirit and in truth. John does this great job at not only fixing our eyes on Jesus, but really helping us to know and understand that when you see Jesus, what your response ought to be. It's filled with these nuggets. And, and here, um, it's interesting that, that right after, in John 14, he tell, I'm going away to prepare a place for you, but I'm going to leave you a comforter. Right? He says it's this, but then we land right here in John 15. Jesus is talking about the vine and the branches. Now, this parable here isn't like most parables of the Gospels. They're usually stories with one or more spiritual points. But here, in Jesus' discourse, right, he, he begins to extend. He extends his metaphor here. These 17 verses here aren't long, but contain some of the most important and really beloved passages in all the scripture about a disciple's love relationship with, the who, with whom they follow. Our relationship with Jesus should not be built on the idea of, of relationship that's based on conditions or something that we fathom in our mind, but rather a relationship that's totally measured and defined by the word of God. The reality of our relationship with Jesus is expressed in obedience to his word and is essential to effective discipleship. The picture that he's given here in this text is a rich metaphor, really, that needs to be unpacked. And when we say that we ought to be disciples who make disciples, he begins to, he begins to really give a picture here that we got to unpack. See, he says the vine. He uses vine, and the vine is Jesus. While we believers, disciples, we are the branches. The Father, uh, the Father, Jesus says, is the vine dresser and the gardener who tends to the branches. He prunes the fruitful branches so that they will bear more fruit, and he takes away the unfruitful branches. Y'all, I'm going to tell you something. My grandmama was a florist, right? Elma and Ruby Lee's flower shop was the name of it, right? And, and she, she would always do funerals. I mean, she would do floral pieces for funerals, casket sprays and easels and all of those different things. And in the summer, we would always go spend the summer with Granny and Pawpaw. And I remember sitting right down in the flower shop. at a, She had this table where we would sit. She would, we would take coloring books and all that stuff. But one day, I just paid attention. And she had this plant. And with this plant, I see her cutting leaves off the plant. And I'm like, boy, somebody about to be mad when they get their plant. And then I said, why are you cutting that? You know, kids just ask questions. Not that we cared. We just saw something. That's when Papa didn't have me cutting the grass in the backyard. I asked Grant, I said, why are you cutting the leaf? Why are you cutting it off? She said, because this leaf right here, everything else is green and these are yellow. These are dead. And if I leave these dead leaves on this plant, it's going to suck the life from the rest of the plant. 
So I have to separate what's dead to ensure that what's alive still happens. That's really what Jesus is saying here, right? In this illustration, he's saying like, I'm the vine, you are the branches, and as the branch, you got to produce fruit. And if you ain't producing fruit, you ain't the branch, and I just got to cut some stuff off. I got to cut some people away from you because if you belong to me, you got to produce some fruit. The unfruitful branches, y'all. Now, now hear this. Let's not get it twisted because some of y'all are already thinking of people that you want to cut off. You are already thinking about it. But hear this. The problem with us cutting it off is that we typically tend to cut the wrong people. Right? Uh, uh, so some of y'all married folks, oh, that was my way out. I can't, I can't. Let me give you Bible. Jesus says, let the wheat and tare grow together, and he'll do the separating. Why, why did he want it to grow together? Because we are so blind, our vision is so jacked up that we, we don't know the difference between wheat and tare. We don't. So he says, let them grow together, and in the right time, I'll do the separating, right? The unfruitful branches, y'all, appear to be nominal disciples, people who outwardly follow Jesus for a time but fail to bear fruit. Think, for example, of Judas Iscariot. Now, Judas Iscariot, he was a follower of Jesus who would later betray Jesus. Um, uh, he hung around Jesus' followers. His partners knew Jesus. He witnessed the miracles of Jesus, but he later betrayed Jesus. What am I saying? Don't let the praiser fool you. That's another sermon. Equipped to recognize foolishness is going to be the next. <laughs> Jesus continues in this text, and he's using, really trying to shape our minds, right, about being disciples. He continues to use this word, depending on your translation, remain or abide. Now, this word remain or abide, it really means connection, dependence, continuous. Now, don't think of this as, as um, secession steps, like if I connect with him, I depend on him, and then I continue in him, which helps me to abide. No, all of these, they, they, they work together. Don't think of these as successive steps, but as three interwoven aspects of abiding in Jesus, right? To abide, to remain in the vine means to be, it is to be united, to, to be connected with him, to rely on Jesus, to depend on Jesus, to remain in Jesus for all eternity. While I'm here, can I just match pause and remind y'all of Romans 8? Nothing shall separate us from the love of God that's found in Christ Jesus our Lord. He says, shall trial or tribulation and shall, uh, no, nothing can separate you from the love of Jesus, from the love of God that's found in Christ Jesus our Lord. Why? Because we abide. He's divine. We are the branches. And if we are connected to him, we abide in him. As disciples who make disciples, y'all, relying on him, remaining in him, happens as we abide with him. When we are connected to Jesus, there is something that you have to give to others. When you are abiding in Christ, let me tell you, you do have something to offer. When you are abiding in Christ, 
you do have something or rather someone to give. And that's him. Well, I don't have anything. I don't have nothing to give anybody, Pastor Mike, because you just don't know my story. You don't know what I've been through. You don't know the thoughts that went through my mind just last week, just yesterday, on my way here. Even while you preaching, Pastor Mike, I wish you would hurry up to see the Chiefs win. But here it is. You have something to offer because you are abiding in Christ. You aren't just connected to the vine and empty. You're connected to the vine and you are remaining full in him. You have him to offer. As disciples who make disciples, we do have something to offer, y'all. We must be disciples who make disciples and offer people him. Discipleship is this lifelong process of learning, sharing, and following Jesus. But, but the, the tension of this is, well, if I am to be a disciple who make disciples, then what does a disciple of Jesus really look like? I'm not talking about a suit. I ain't talking about a fitted hat. I ain't talking about Tim. None of that. But, but what? does a disciple of Jesus really look like? What does, a, what does a disciple of Jesus really look like is what we got to wrestle through. But I believe
lay down our own fleshly desires for his better way. We'll bear lasting fruit and serve as salt and light to a world that's in need of Jesus. If you are a follower of Jesus, you remember, a, a disciple is, is a learner, sharer, and a follower of Jesus. And if we're going to be disciples who make disciples, y'all, we got to bear fruit. When you belong to Jesus, when you're following him, when you are sharing him, when you are living for him, number one, you got to bear fruit. Not only we got to, number one, bear fruit, but number two, disciples, this is the one I love here, disciples are kept in his love. We're kept in his love. Watch what he says in the text, verse 9. As the Father has loved me, I've also loved you. Remain or abide in my love. If you keep my commands, you remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I've told you these things so that my joy may be in you and your joy may be complete. This is my command. Love one another. Do you know that when you are kept in his love, there's no way you cannot love other people? No way. He said, this is my command. Love one another as I've loved you. No one has greater love than this, to lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. That helps us to see right there why we have a hard time seeing Jesus as a friend. Because we don't keep his commands. He says, I do not call you servants anymore because a servant doesn't know what his master is doing. I have called you friends because I've made known to you everything I've heard from my father. Now notice, notice in the text, before he says, you'll remain in my love, he gives an important description that we tend to blow past. He says, if you keep my commands, if you keep my commands, then you remain in my love. If you keep my commands, I call you friends. See, our love for God is directly connected to our obedience to God. Meaning, how can we... I love you, God. I worship and adore you, but when he tells you to do something, you make excuses. God, I love you with everything that's in me, but God, that I ain't doing. Who are we to tell God what we ain't going to do? Your, your, obedience, or, or your obedience to the Lord is directly connected to your love for the Lord. There's no way that we can say we are followers of Jesus and choose to live in ways that contradict his word. There's no way we can continue to grasp this concept that we love Jesus, we're followers of Jesus, right? But but we're disobedient to him. Let me let me bring this let me let me bring this home a little closer, right? Because when I talk about being disobedient, I don't know, I don't just want you to think about lying and murder and all those different things. Let's just deal with um, a responsibility of the blood bought. Evangelism. Okay. Disciples. Who are you responsible for? Who's responsible for you? If you are not sharing the gospel with the lost believer, you're living in disobedience. Now, 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 hear this. I'm not talking about your testimony because your story can't save anybody. I'm talking about actually having the courage and the boldness to, to call sinners to repentance, to let people know, hey, uh, God is holy, he's righteous, and he won't ignore sin. Man sinned against God. 
Therefore, our relationship with God is broken. Anything that's broken needs to be fixed. Well, how can it be fixed? How was our relationship with God fixed? Through the finished work of Jesus Christ. What do I do with this? Turn from my sin and turn to the Father, right? Evangelism is a responsibility, not just of clergy, but for every believer. And if you love him, if you've tasted and seen that he is good, you're going to want to tell somebody. We have to, as followers of Jesus, our love for him, a fruit of love for the Father is obedience. I love what he says in Luke 6. He says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I say? As for everyone who comes to me and hears my word and puts it into practice, I will show you what they are like. Or even 1 John 2. Now, something interesting. You know, the Gospel of John was written by the Apostle John when he was around 17, 18, 19 years old. But then you fast forward to 1st, 2nd, 3rd John. That was written when John was an old man, so he hadn't been through some stuff. He didn't been he didn't been through some storms. He didn't been through the woods. He didn't became wiser. But the same thing that he was communicating in his gospel is the same thing that he communicates in his letters. Watch what he says in 1 John 2, verse 3. This is how we know that we know him. Here it is. If we keep his commands. This is, how, this is how it's known that you know the Lord and that you are kept in his love if you keep his commands. The one who says, I have come to know him and yet doesn't keep his commands is a liar and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word truly in him, the love of God is made complete. This is how we know we are in him. The one who says he remains in him or abides in him should walk. If you love him, you belong to him, you are a follower of him, then you got to behave the way he told you to behave. Our love for Jesus ought to stir us toward obedience to Jesus. Listen, family, biblical love is the decision to compassionately, righteously, responsibly, and sacrificially seek the well-being of others. You can love people who you may not necessarily like because love is not dependent upon how you feel. That's why Jesus can't command. That's why Jesus tells you to love your enemies. Because he don't care about how you feel about people. He says in Hebrews, right, um, he, he tells us how to treat folk because he says if you treat them in a loving way, you may, uh, you may entertain angels unaware. You can love people who you may not necessarily like because it, it, love is not contingent upon how you feel. Right? See, it's true, y'all, that uh-uh, love might include feelings and affections, and, and such feelings may develop over time, but it's not driven by them. Love is not driven by your emotions. Love should not be driven by how you feel, but genuine biblical love ought to be driven by what you know about God. One of the ways we fail in loving one another, right, is that we tend to deal with people based on what we know about them. If I, if, if I continue to live a life dealing with people based on what I know about them, it's a problem because what I know about you makes me not want to deal with you. But if I deal with people based on what I know about God, it pushes me to love you in spite of because I see you how God sees you. Well, how does God see you? Romans 3, you are toe up, we are toe up from the flow up. That's how God sees us. 
right? But, but if I deal with you based off of how God sees you, I know well, while Romans 3 exists, so does 1 Peter 2. You are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, created. For, you, you were created for him, right? I, I see you in, in Colossians that it, 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 he holds all things together. You were created by him and for him. Right, God keeps us in his love, and because he keeps us in his love, then we ought to want to keep other people in that same love. Deal with people based on what we know about God. Do you know that if, if what if God loved you based on what he knew about you? He know everything. Now, now I ain't talking about, I ain't talking about, right, on the things that you tell him. Because he know more than what you tell him. Right, if he dealt with you based off what he know about you, we would all be jacked up. Right, we deal with people based off what we know about God. Right, true, uh, yeah, uh, uh, our love, y'all, is driven by sacrifice for the welfare of others. The greatest expression of love, really, he talks about it in the text. The greatest expression of love is to lay down your life for friends. That's the kind of love that's undeserving. The kind of love that pushes past preference. It's interesting because when people don't have our same preference, we throw out words like false teacher. When people don't have our own preferences, we throw out words like lame or uncool or swagless. It should never be based on that. It should always be based off of the model that Jesus has shown us. That's the kind of love that Jesus models for us, the kind of love that Jesus keeps us in. See, when people come to know the Lord as their Savior, they are brought into relationship with God that guarantees their eternal security. Jesus don't just call you into relationship with him, bring you out of the horrible pit, out of the miry clay, place your feet on the rock, and, and then you mess up. He says, see, that's why I don't love you now. Saying stuff like, because you messed up, I don't like you. No, foolishness. When people come to know the Lord, you are brought into relationship with God that guarantees that you are eternally secure, right? I love how Jude 24 says, to him who is able to keep you from falling and present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy. God's Power is able, believer, to keep you from falling. It is not. It is up to him to keep you from falling. And if keeping you from falling was up to you, you would have fell a long time ago. But he's keeping you in his love. It's to present us before his glorious presence. Our eternal security is a result of God keeping us, not us maintaining our own salvation. That's why I say all the time, you know what? Deliver yourself from thinking you're not good enough for the Lord because you don't read your Bible like you should. Deliver yourself from thinking that God don't want nothing to do with you because you don't pray enough. Am I saying that we shouldn't have a devotional life? No. Am I saying that we shouldn't pray? Not at all. I'm just saying that God is so powerful and so, most, so merciful and so gracious that you keeping a relationship with God is not contingent upon your actions, but totally contingent upon his love for you as his disciple. The Lord Jesus Christ, he says, I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. No one can snatch them out of my hand. No one, nothing can snatch us out of his hand. 
We must be disciples, y'all, who make disciples. We take ownership of one another's lives with the Lord. If, 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 if a newborn baby can't feed themselves, why is it that when people come to know the Lord and get baptized, we even figure it out on their own? I don't know them. We cannot continue to do that. If we, if we want to seek first the kingdom of God, we have to look beyond ourselves and take responsibility for one another. Discipleship is a lifelong process of learning, sharing, and following Jesus. We cannot leave, leave one another up to our own devices to figure out our relationship with Christ on our own. We can't continue to just be people that do conversation and don't do life. Because it's interesting. We'll hang out after church forever, having conversations, all that superficial stuff. But Monday through Saturday, there's nothing. Folks suffering in silence, all because relationship has become superficial. But God is calling us to dig deeper. We had, do you know, yeah, God wants us to be intimate with him, but he wants us to be intimate with one another. We can't continue to just be people that do conversations, but we got to do life. It must be deeper. We must do life together, right? What does doing life look like if you got to go to the grocery store? Invite somebody to go with you. Show them how to pick the, show them how to pick the right loaf of bread. As a matter of fact, don't tell them meet you there. Pick them up. And my prayer is that you get cut off in traffic so they can really begin to see how you respond when you're inconvenient. What does discipleship look like? What if married couple, you began to invite another engaged couple or single people who's interested into your house to have dinner together and then let them witness a healthy disagreement in marriage where so when they get married, they know how to handle it. Because as the church, we're taking responsibility for one another. Like, we have to begin to cancel this Kermit the Frog mentality. Sipping my tea, it ain't got nothing to do with me. No, if there's another follower of Jesus that's sinking deep in sin, far from a peaceful shore, it has everything to do with you. We were not created to live on an island, but to be in relationship. I'm not saying that, right, we have to, that, that we just, Choose anybody. I'm saying use wisdom, right? But we have to take ownership, right? We ought to be disciples who make disciples. And as disciples of Jesus, yeah, we got to abide in him. We got to remain in him. And as a follower of Jesus, yeah, we got to bear fruit. Yeah, we're kept in his love. But, but as a disciple of Jesus, last thing I want you to see from this text is that as a disciple of Jesus, yeah, we bear fruit. Yeah, we remain in his love. But here's what we got to remember. You're chosen by him. You are chosen by him. You are chosen by God. Not just to leave, not just to be left hanging, not just to say I'm saved, sanctified, and filled with the Holy Ghost. No, but you are chosen by him to represent him. He says, verse 16 and 17, you ain't choose me. Can I, can I just use my St. Louis? You ain't choose me. He said, you didn't choose me. I chose you. I appointed you to go and produce fruit. Now, now, it gets interesting here because notice he didn't say I chose you to sit and do nothing. He says, I chose you to go and produce fruit. 
and uh, that your fruit should remain. He said, listen, I told you to go and produce fruit, not rotten fruit. He didn't even say perfect fruit. Let me tell you why he didn't say perfect fruit. He didn't call you to produce perfect fruit because he wants to perfect your fruit. He wants to protect, he wants to perfect your fruit. He says, uh, produce fruit and that your fruit should remain so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will do it. This is what I command you. Love one another. From time to time, y'all, when light penetrated the darkness for the first time and God was beginning to create the rest of the universe, the solar system and the earth we live on, here it is. Guess what was on his mind? You. You were on his mind. He chose you. Scripture says even before the foundation of the world. Ephesians 1. Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. This means, y'all, that God was thinking about you before he created everything in love. He chose you to be his child when your time on earth would come, so he has had more than enough time to reconsider. He's had more than enough time to reconsider. He knew about your human weakness long before you knew it. He, he knew long before you failed that you were going to fail. He knew long before you didn't like all this stuff about you. He already knew it. You were already on his mind. But despite all that he knew about you, he still chose you for relationship. He still, though he knows all of these things about you, he still says, I choose you to go. Chose us to be in relationship with him. It wasn't for us to just sit on our hands and have great conversation about being in relationship with him, but Jesus chose us to be in relationship with him so that we would produce fruit that would be useful to his kingdom and to reflect his character. Jesus didn't just save you for heaven only. He appointed us to a mission on earth that would involve winning people to Christ seeing to it that we present tools to them for them to grow in their faith. What am I saying? I got to be disciples who make disciples. Meaning that we got to take ownership for one another's fruit. How do I do this? How do I be a disciple who makes disciples? I'm going to give you three quick action steps, real quick. Three action steps. Commit yourself daily to Jesus. Romans 12, he says, I urge you, therefore, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. You want to be a disciple who makes disciples? Commit yourself daily to Jesus, number one. But number two, you want to be a disciple who makes disciples? Talk to Jesus. There was a song that we used to sing, have a little talk with Jesus. Tell them all about my trouble. Hear our faintest cry. Answer by and by. Have a little talk with Jesus. He'll make it right. You want to be a follower, a learner, a sharer of Jesus? What greater way to know what's on his mind than to talk to him? Now, what we tend to miss, though, 
is we tend to look at talking to Jesus as, uh, or prayer as only talking to Jesus. But what would happen if you allowed Jesus to talk to you? Well, Jesus don't have nothing to say to me. He does. It's in the text. He says, I not only call, I, know, I don't no longer call you servant, I call you friend. Because as a friend, you know what he's doing. How do you know what he's doing as his friend? Because he tells you. 1 Thessalonians 5.17, pray without ceasing. Last thing I'll say, if you want to be a disciple who makes disciples, not only do you want to commit yourself to Jesus, talk to Jesus, or listen to Jesus, the last action step I'm going to give you, take the necessary steps to begin to spend time with other people. You cannot be a disciple who makes disciples and not invite anybody else in. You have to. You have to. Invite somebody to your kitchen table. Well, I don't want nobody in my house right away. Okay. Well, let it start with a text message. Hey, just checking on you to see how you're doing. But what will begin to happen is that person will become very familiar with your text message. And then they're going to be like, hey, this gives me life. Maybe we can get together. Think about my relationship with Pastor Baker, somebody who I met installing cable at my mama's house, who had on a Jesus lanyard, and I said to him, what you know about that? Because I saw him, I'm like, oh, you don't, you don't know Jesus? And then you get to know him, you realize he don't really know. He began to tell me that he was a pastor, and we began to have conversation, and we exchanged numbers. We didn't know each other from Adam. I was a custodian. He was a cable man. I began to pick up the phone and call him. And he wasn't a phone person, but Keisha, he would talk to me. I began to ask him questions and all of those different things. I invited him to an event. He came, invited the worship leader from his church. Fast forward 10 years, found out his worship leader was my cousin. And now here it is, 15 years or so, and now we're doing ministry together today. All because we wanted to be disciples who make disciples. It wasn't just up to him or up to me to make the phone call because what happened is that he was so used to me making phone calls that when I didn't call him, guess what he was doing, Sister Juanita? He was calling me. Maybe you're here and you wrestle through like, I understand this, but I like my faith. It's hard for me to pop the clutch to reach out to somebody. Then you stand where you are. I would love to pray with you. Maybe you desire discipleship. You desire to give yourself fully to a discipleship relationship, and you just don't know who that is, and you just want us to pray with you that God will show you who that person or persons are. You can stand where you are right now. I would love to pray with you. Maybe you got a desire and it just don't seem like people respond well to you. Then you, you can stand. Let's, let's pray. Jesus don't just, like, he don't just want you to be in relationship with him and not be in relationship with his people. We should not be comfortable saying we're in relationship with Jesus and living on an island. Sitting in our homes or at work saying, see, that's why I don't like the church because don't nobody reach out to me. Well, it goes both ways. Who are you reaching out to? 
Well, I just got so much going on in my life. So you're the only one that got stuff going on in your life. It's not going to be easy, but I promise you it's going to be worth it. Thank you for listening to the Faith Community Bible Church podcast. We hope you were encouraged by the message on today. To respond to today's message, please go to fcbcstl.com forward slash respond. If you would like to give to support the mission and vision of Faith Community Bible Church, you can go to fcbcstl.com forward slash give. God bless.